It's awesome to be with you today. I truly say that. I love worshiping with you. And that's the last time you're going to see that sermon intro because we are to the last chapter of 1 Peter for months last year. I just, I couldn't get away from the sense that we were supposed to walk through the letter of 1 Peter in the first three months of this new year. And we, we, we've entitled it Living Like Exiles because that's what Peter calls the people in the church, exiles. He calls them exiles that, uh, that you know, we're probably living out in a way we haven't fully experienced yet here in America. But I'll tell you, the last couple of years, I've felt more odd compared to the culture around me than I've ever felt. And we're being stereotyped, marginalized. The people Peter was writing to are actually being overtly, starting to be overtly persecuted. And they were suffering for the cause of Christ. And so, so he writes to them as exiles because the mission of Jesus and the community of Jesus is a counterculture revolution. It's a counterculture revolution where, where the values of the culture of the kingdom of Jesus are, are so different from what the values of the world are. And I just believe in America, we're going to see great, that wind is blowing. We're going to see great spiritual awakening. But I do think while things get better in some ways for the church of Jesus Christ, and many people come into the kingdom of God in the next few years, uh, things are going to get harder for us at the same time because there's going to be reaction uh, to a world to whom, to whom Christians are so countercultural that it just doesn't fit their world. And so this is how Peter's going to end in chapter 5 in our last message here and his last chapter. It's like, how do we advance in a countercultural way? And first of all, he's going to talk to leaders. And uh, this is not going to be the focus of the message today, but I do want to at least read, read to you um, the first uh, five verses of 1 Peter chapter 5. And this would be a great way to pray for your pastors to pray, if you're in a small group, to pray for your small group leader, if you're in an outreach team, to pray for the outreach team leader, whoever might be giving leadership in the cause of Christ, is a great way to pray for them. Peter said, to the elders among you, that'd be to the pastors, the leaders, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. Now, in about a week, Sandy and I are going to be on our way to, to a place in the world I'm not going to identify because we're online, but it's a place where there's heavy persecution against the church, where uh, people lose their lives for converting to Christianity, and I'm, I'm, I've been given the trembling assignment to speak for five hours on spiritual leadership to pastors from those countries, not missionaries, but pastors from those countries who are laboring as spiritual leaders under those conditions. So I'd ask you to pray for us. And this will be one of the texts I'm going to be, you, you, you could do a whole, there's a, a pack with leadership stuff right there for, for existing in a countercultural kind of way and yet making advance. It, it, it starts with leaders and what's happening in leaders' lives and how they lead. I, I simply want to leave it at that except 
except to read it one more time, uh, this time as Eugene Peterson paraphrases it in the message. I have a special concern for you church leaders. I know what it's like to be a leader in on Christ's sufferings as well as the coming glory. And here's my concern, that you care for God's flock with all the diligence of a shepherd, not because you have to, but because you want to please God. Not calculating what you can get out of it, but acting spontaneously, not bossily telling others what to do, but tenderly showing them the way. And when God, who's the best shepherd of all, comes out in the open with his rule, he'll see that you've done it right and commended you lavishly. And you who are younger, you must follow your leaders. So that's where he starts. And then his next three words are going to be, and all of you. So now he's going to go past leaders. And this is not going to be a leadership seminar sermon. He's going to go past leaders, and he's going to talk to all of us as the family of God. And he's going to give what I've simply, what I look at as two tactical strategies for moving forward when we're not in sync with the culture around us. Two countercultural tactics for advancing. And I just want you to just, this is powerful stuff Peter's going to give us. How, how do you move forward? I mean, being the right leaders, if you're a leader, that's part of it. But, but what about all of us, all of us? And the first thing he's going to say, although this sounds a little cliche-ish, is, is don't make it about you. If, if, if you're going to thrive as a Christian in these next years, and you're going to be ready even to suffer for your faith, even to lose friends for your faith, even to possibly lose jobs for your faith. I already know people to whom that's exper have experienced that in America. I mean, if you're going to pay a price to follow Jesus, yet you cannot make this about you. Because if your self-interest is threatened, I mean, I mean, you're stuck right, right, right at, the, at the starting line. You can't make this about you. And I worry how much the church is tilted towards making everything about us. And it's meaning we're not going to be ready to truly suffer for Christ. Even a lot of our worship songs, although I love some of them, I mean, they just get too focused on us. Listen, Jesus is not there because of us. We're here because of him. It doesn't start with us. And we've got to get that straight. And that means we take on the posture of humility, that's why after saying, you know, leaders be right and younger, you follow your leaders, then all of you, verse five, the middle of verse five, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God poses the proud but shows favor to the humble. Don't make this about you, but start humbling yourself towards one another uh, because God, he will resist proud people, but if you want to attract the grace and favor of Jesus, you take on a humble position. Now, humility is a hard word to define. It's a little like defining love, right? And the problem with humility, the problem with being humble is if you think you are, you're probably not. You know, I'm humble and proud of it. What can you say? So it's, a, it's this elusive thing. We're never sure if we have it. We, we're never sure, you know, how to define it. And, and, and so we default to this kind of American Western low self-esteem kind of thing where we're trying to push self-esteem in every direction and, and we think, well, well, being humble, I hate that idea. I mean, that doesn't fit my worldview, you know, because we think it's having a low self-esteem 
is even hating ourselves. You know, you can't hate what God loves. God loves you. He made you. Don't hate yourself. Um, some people try to be humble. They tell me, I try to be humble. I just, I just walk around uh, telling myself, reminding myself of all the things that aren't very good about me. You know, I mean, it's not beating yourself down. But the idea of being humble biblically is that you do take the lower position relative to people around you. You, 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 in other words, become a servant. You come under people so that you can lift them up. It's like Jesus with his disciples the night before he's crucified at the Last Supper. And, and I love the way, I love the way Richard Foster in his book Celebration of Discipline puts it in the opening paragraph on his chapter on the, dis, the spiritual discipline of serving of, of not making it about you, but serving, humbling yourself before others. And, and, and he said, you know what? Apparently nobody had washed their feet. It was customary that the lowest in the room, that would normally be the hired servant, the lowest in the room would wash everybody's feet. They didn't have like closed toed shoes like we do and their feet would be dirty from the dusty roads. And so it was customary when you come into a room that your feet would be washed and only the lowest in the room would do that. Well, apparently... There's not a hired servant there at the Last Supper, and they came in, their feet were still dirty, they were sitting around the table, and of all things, they were arguing about who was the greatest in that room. And Foster said, it's funny, because their feet were still caked with dirt. And it was a sore point that nobody wanted to talk about. Nobody wanted to act like they were the least in the room and do what needed to be done and wash everybody's feet. Until Jesus got up and he took a basin and he took a towel and in Foster's words, he redefined greatness because he took on the role of the least and washed their feet. And in doing so, he redefined true greatness in the kingdom of God. We are very countercultural as followers of Jesus. We don't go for the hype. We don't go for the status, the recognition. We go for lowering ourselves, humbling ourselves to one another. And Jesus said, that creates the kind of community that attracts my grace and my favor. And I started thinking of it. It's not being passive. It takes a lot of courage to do that. This is very courageous living but it's also very freeing. In fact, I'm gonna share a little short list I wrote a few years ago. I started thinking about humility, even though humility is kind of frowned on, oh, you feel bad about yourself, oh, you think terrible of yourself, how can you even know you're humble? I mean, on the other hand, I mean, it's the most freeing thing I've ever heard about. For instance, humility frees us from the need to always be the center of attention. Wouldn't that be nice if you felt good about yourself without having always to be the center of attention? That, that'd be very freeing. In fact, that's my functional definition of humility. You, you assess yourself accurately. You don't deny your strengths and, and you're realistic about your weaknesses. You're just accurate about who you are as a person. You're not putting yourself down where you shouldn't be put down. You're just accurate. But you assess yourself accurately without having to be the center of attention without having to have the spotlight on you all the time. What, what a wonderful, freeing way to live. 
And, and humility frees us from the need to prove anything to anyone. That was a big thing for me. Feeling this pressure to always prove something about myself. I pray. We have a lot of spiritual heroes in this church. And I, you come forward. I pray for you sometimes. And you know what? In the past, I'm trying to get over this, but in the past, I'd think, you know, i got to prove to this person I'm spiritual because they're a famous missionary. i got to prove that I'm spiritual. What's wrong with that picture? Well, two things. First of all, the spotlight's on me where it shouldn't be. And the second thing, it's not about me. It's about Jesus' impartation to them. And it's, it's, like, it's like, what am I doing this to prove something about me for? I see Richard Hammer back there, head legal counsel for the Assemblies of God for many, many years. One of the smartest guys I've ever met. He used to sit on the church board here with me. And if I would sit at the end of that table, Rich would always sit on my left. If I go into those board meetings thing, i got to prove to Rich and the rest of these board members, who is a tr- always a tremendous group of people, i got to prove to them that I know how to lead. If I'm going in there, it's all about me. And, and then I feel too much pressure. And when I feel too much pressure and I try too hard, that's when I s- do the most foolish things. You know what? Humility frees you from needing to prove anything about you. You can just get on with ministering to people and doing what God's called you to do. And humility will free you from that, 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 off, that, that wicked need in us to feel superior to others in order to feel good about ourselves. I mean, what is that? That I can't feel good about myself until I feel better than somebody else. Wouldn't it be nice to be free from that? Wouldn't it be nice... To be free from always having to win or have the last word. And my wife in the front row says, Amen. <laughs> I mean, you know what? Why do I always have to have the last word? I mean, who, who do I think I am? Why can't I be teachable? Why can't I come under and think, you know what? Other people may have something to say to me too that I need. I mean, what's this arrogance? Like nobody can tell me anything and I got to win every argument and all of that. Or, or, or hold on to grudges and offenses like, like, you know, I was wrong. So my life crusade is to get even and, and, and to make sure that my reputation's clear. I mean, you humble yourself before God. You're putting your reputation in God's hands. And there are times to clarify facts. There are times maybe to defend yourself. But I want to tell you, some of us just hold on to grudges. We hold on to offenses so long. I, and Jesus, is just, just humble yourself in front of me and be free. Be free. Let me handle some of this stuff. And, and I also found that humility, you know, sometimes in my, in my pride, I just feel like I need to push people around. I need to, I need to have my way, and, 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 which morphs into this, this bad spirit of control. Like, I just got to control people. I got to control how people feel. I got to control how my wife feels. I got to control how my wife acts. I got to control how my pastoral staff feels, how they act. And, and I want to tell you, I'm just strangling the life out of every relationship when I do that. Humility frees, breaks the spirit of control in us and leaves you free. It leaves you with no other identity No other reference point for your identity but the fact that I am in Christ. I belong to him. I'm chosen by him. I'm forgiven by him. His spirit is in my life. Listen, you meet Jesus and all the reference points are going to change from what you learned out in the world before you met Jesus. All the reference points for who you are are going to change. And they're all going to center in one person. And it's not you. It's Jesus. This is not about you. It's about Jesus. And finding that freedom then to come under, to come low and lift other people up because it's not about you. 
And so he says in the next verse, so humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Just humble yourself under God's mighty hand because this is what will happen. He will lift you up in due time. He, he just has a way of taking care of your reputation. He has a way of opening doors for you. You are free from a lot of self-promotion and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and you know what? You just humble yourself. You say, Jesus, you're the center of my life. You're the one who I adore. The reference point of who I am is found in you and your love for me. And I'm trusting you, Lord. And I'm, I'm just going to, I'm not going to make this about me. I'm going to make this about you and, and about the people around me that you want to use me to touch. And, and, and I don't require I get back as much as I give out. I give up all that. I, I, wanna, I know as a pastor, I, I always love people more than I love the position. I mean, it's just, it's just, you just think radically differently when Jesus is a reference point for your identity and your identity is not threatened by anything else. How freeing is that? So he said, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God because he has a way in his time of having you ready for the moment and lifting you up. And, and if you do get recognition, if you do get influence and authority, leave that in his hand and you just walk humbly and keep serving the people around you. And then he said, cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. And I used to think Peter was changing the subject. You know, humble yourself and then if you're a warrior, cast your anxieties on him. But actually in the Greek, it's continuous. It really reads like this in the Greek. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up at the right time, having cast all your anxieties on him. So all my anxieties, just cast on him. That's part of humbling myself. I don't have to prove anything anymore. The pressure's not on me anymore. I, I just have cast everything on Jesus and he lifts me up in due time because he gives favor and grace to the humble. It's a radical way of living. If I was to summarize all of that in one sentence, it'd be this. I put it on the screen. Our in Christ identity makes way for less stress and more open doors. Hallelujah. Can I hear amen, amen to that? Amen. Some of us are living way too much stress because we're trying to prove too much, too much pressure on ourselves. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Really act as if he really is there. He really did die for you. He really did rise again. And he really does have your life in his hands. And just, just cast it all on him. And have less stress and more open doors as God exalts you in his time. So don't make it about you. That, that's what Peter's saying. I, after all these other things in the previous four chapters about suffering for Christ and submitting to authority and having godly attitudes, I mean, just don't make it about you. But do this, he says, develop a determined spirit. This is the other thing you're going to have to do to advance. You're just going to have some grit in your spirit, some holy determination. Develop a determined spirit. That's why he says in the very next verse, after casting your care on him, be alert and of sober mind, for your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So you're being treated as an oddity in your world as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. People just don't get you. Jesus said people hated me, they're going to hate you. And so this is just strange. And you're going to feel out of place. You're going to feel like an exile. Uh, just... Just don't make it about you, but just stay determined. 
because you're in a battle and the devil's like a lion that's prowling around. And you're going to have to be alert. You're going to have to be clear-headed. I mean, just, just watch out because the devil's out to devour you, he says. So I couldn't resist uh, getting my phone and pick, pulling out a picture I took almost five years ago in southwestern Kenya in the Maasai Mara. And we were watching lions with a, with a whole group of zebra over in the distance. And this whole pride of lions was, was stalking these zebra to attack and eat one of them. And I saw it lived out exactly what Peter was talking about. The devil prowls. He's prowling. There, there's there's a, a first lion shot I took that, that he's just prowling. And notice the grass is high. I really learned a lesson there. Um, you know, the zebra are especially prey when the grass is high. And the lions are downwind from them, so they can't sense them coming. The grass is high, and it hides them. And you know what? Sometimes I want high grass around me because, you know what? Maybe I'm just drifting a little bit, and I don't want other people to see it. Maybe there's things not, maybe there's secret sin. Maybe there's, maybe there's compromise. Maybe, maybe there's things happening in my life, and I'm, I'm just kind of accommodating to having two lives. And part of me just really isn't submitted to Jesus. And part of me is just, it just loves other, my affections are going more towards the world than to him. And, 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 and it's kind of like I'm getting in tall grass. And when I'm in tall grass, I'm especially vulnerable. And, and we were told by our guide that the lions do their best hunting in seasons like this when the, when the grass is tall and the prey can't see them coming. And then this is the end of it. He said the Satan's wanting to devour you. So they got a zebra. There's six lions just in that picture alone tearing that zebra apart. I have some close-ups in video that are not appropriate for a Sunday morning service. Uh, with blood all over the lions' faces, they're teeth tearing the flesh away of that zebra. But that's exactly what Peter says the devil wants to do to you. Because you're marked if you follow Jesus. You don't belong to the kingdom of this world anymore. And no wonder we suffer sometimes. No wonder there's persecution. The devil's trying to throw hell at us. He wants to tear us apart. But here's what he says, verse 9. Here's that determined spirit. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Well, he's saying a lot right there. First, he's saying you got to resist the devil. First, don't be vulnerable to him. You know, stay away from tall grass in your life. Don't be vulnerable, but don't be unrealistic about what the devil would love to do to you just to tear you apart. But resist him, resist him, standing firm in the faith. Sandy and I usually take parts of Saturday night to, expend, to pray more extendedly together and, uh, and, and, and to prepare our hearts for today. And so last night we were praying, and we did some resisting the devil last night. We were praying for some things where it seems like the devil is just having his way in people's lives. And, and we just, you know, in Jesus' name we stand. We, we would say that in prayer. We stand against because we have the authority of Jesus' name. We defeated the devil at the cross. In Jesus' name, we stand against what the devil's doing here. Uh, there might have been one place where either I or my wife just said, in Jesus' name, we rebuke the work of the devil in this person's life or in our lives where we sense he's after us. We just stand. You resist the devil. You say, no, I belong to Jesus. This is not about me. If this was about you, 
you're hopeless. You're hopeless against the devil if it's about you. But if you're standing in Christ and you have the authority of his name, I want to tell you, you can resist him. But the greatest way we resist the devil is that second phrase. He said, resist him. And then notice, comma, at the same time, standing firm in the faith. The greatest way that you resist the devil is you just stand firm. You just say, I'm determined to stand firm. Yeah, I don't know why God hasn't answered some prayer in my life, but I'm standing firm. I know uh, I can't go along with some of the dishonest things my company's doing. And I know that if I follow Jesus, I might lose my job. But I'm not going to whine, wondering why would God let this happen to me. I understand the battle I'm in, and I'm just going to stand. You may be ravaged with discouragement, and you may say, God, where are you, and what are you doing in my life? And I know you said you'd raise me up in due time, and just due time still seems like a long way away, and I don't know what to do. But I don't care. I'm in Christ, and I'm going to stand. You may have doubts that you're battling. And, 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 you know, you, you may be tempted to deconstruct your faith like a whole lot of other people seem to be doing these days. And, and it may be just plaguing your mind. But, but you just say, you know what, devil, I'm, I'm going to work through this. I'm going to talk to people. I'll read the right books. I'll, I'll do what I need to do. But in Jesus' name, I'm going to stand in the faith. Because I realize I can doubt my doubts. I realize all my doubts have an assumption under them, behind them, that I can't prove anyway. And I'm going to doubt my doubts. God's going to help me through this. All I know is I'm not going to deconstruct. I'm not going to leave Jesus. I'm going to stand in the faith. And that's the way. Boy, the devil hates that. Just resist the devil. He says, standing firm in your faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. So if I could reduce all of that to one sentence, it would be this. Stay alert, resist the devil, and don't whine. <laughs> don't whine. Look, you know, I have people make fun of me and feel bad, and I've lost friends because I'm a Christian, but, you know, I'm going to be talking next week to pastors that, are losing a whole, that have been in prison for Christ. So I don't want to be a whiner. It's tempting. This isn't about me. I'm determined to stay faithful to Jesus. And so I'm going to resist the devil. I'm going to stay alert. And definitely don't let me be a whiner. You know, Peter keeps saying this. You're exiles, but, but, but you know, you're, not, you're not victims. You know, you may be suffering, but let's not be whining because of this. And then he gives us a, a, a picture as Peter closes this powerful two-verse picture of the future for every exile. And the God, verse 10, and the God of grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after, yes, you've suffered a little while. He himself will restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. That's the end of the story for us. He himself will restore you and make you strong. Yeah, you're going to suffer for a while. Yeah, it's not going to be easy for a while. Yeah, you're not going to figure God out or yourself out or your friends out for a while. But in the end, you don't need to fall. You don't need to be torn apart by the devil. In the end, he himself will restore you because he's coming again in glory. 
And his rule is going to be manifested to the whole world. His rule that you've already opened yourself up to in Christ. And he himself will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Would you read that last sentence with me out loud? To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen.